0: Oh, yeah. So.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can't do dead dogs. Did I tell you that? I can't do that. Books and Brunch with Amber and Noelle. Hi. Welcome to Books and Brunch. I'm Noelle. And I'm Amber. And today we are talking about Our Share of Night by Mariana Enriquez. It has been a while because this is a big book. Yeah. She's got a couple of collections of short stories out, which is actually... Why I picked this is because I had read a a collection of her short stories and was, like, blown away. So when I saw this and read a little synopsis about it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's happening. Um, So, yeah, let's jump right in. This is a story that covers a lot of time. It kind of like um, God of Endings, which we recently talked about. There's, a, there's many generations of a couple different families that this book follows, which makes it really fun because there's a lot of characters um, and there's a lot of weird, non-traditional family values. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, the way I would describe this book, if someone were to say, what's that book about? I would say it's about a cult or a secret society that searches the world for natural born mediums people who can see spirits talk to spirits summon entities and they essentially use them as a vessel to speak to the god that their cult worships sacrifices to in exchange for wealth and power so it's it's a very like illuminati type family from south america They own all of the Yerba Mate plantations. They own a lot of the industry. They're kind of well-connected when it comes to government. They seem to be above the law. And it all kind of goes back to their founding father, who had this spiritual experience with, like, a dark entity. And in exchange for blood, body parts, human sacrifices, the family line has maintained wealth, prestige, and power within this secret society. And it's very dark. It's a
0: very dark book. There's some really like grotesque descriptions, kind of (laughs) gory. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, she doesn't shy away from really showing you every bit of what's happening, especially when it comes to someone being injured or some sort of weird... Sacrifice taking place. All the details. One of the worst ones I thought was... I won't give away spoilers, but...
0: When he was taking someone's teeth... And licking them clean... Because they weren't in the person's mouth anymore. Oh, (laughs) yeah. So disgusting. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah. like little... Little gems in there. There was also at one point in time... um, A jar, like a large jar of eyelids yeah it's there yeah yeah it was the the
0: eyelids (laughs) it's just yeah grotesque i think would be a good word and she i was watching an interview with her and she said she always she kind of started more liking gothic and but she always liked feeling scared and she said she read jane eyre and that was kind of her first one that made her like horror i guess and which i I guess more she was talking about that when in reference to gothic, but what led into the feeling of feeling scared. And yeah. I never would have been like, oh, Jane Eyre was her inspiration. But, um, and then yeah. she liked the one that you love. Shirley Jackson. Shirley Jackson. I was going to say <laughs> Shelley. <laughs> Shirley Jackson. She's a big fan of her and Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of, she was talking about like the road she went down and that to write a whole novel. Cause she does these, you know, books with the short stories. Like you were talking about, she says she has to really mm-hmm. engulf herself like in that world to, to write something so long and to just be mm-hmm. in it. I'm like, Oh, what was it like to engulf herself in this world to for that long right? to write this book? Because it, I I, I don't I wouldn't want to be in in this mind state of mind for very long. I don't think
1: <laughs> I
0: totally would.
1: I I haven't had this much fun reading a book in so long. I would say hands down, this is in my top five favorite books. Now, um, I would read it again. I cried at the end because I didn't want it to be over. However, it did end with a little open ending. Like if she wanted to pick up and, and, and continue the story, there's room for it. So I feel like I was a little happy thinking that it's possible. It's possible. There could be more. What I loved about this book, um, were the characters, absolutely, and the sort of just accepting that there were there's magic in the world. There's there's other worlds that you can cross into seamlessly just by opening up a door in a house that wasn't there the day before. And now suddenly here's this door. And with the right person at the right time of day with the planets in line, you can open that door and be in a completely different world. Love stuff like that. Um, I love the idea of one who is the the main character. Well, I don't know if he's the main character, but he's the medium who marries a member of the cult's family, one of the daughters, and then they gave give birth to potentially one of the more powerful mediums to have ever been born. Um and Gaspar. So Juan Gaspar and Rosario is like the central, I would say main characters when we meet Juan and Gaspar, they're on a road trip to take care of some things that Juan is very cryptic about, and he's keeping from his son, who at the time is like eight. I think
0: he's even younger whenever they first start. Okay. I think he's... The first one. He is young. Yeah, I want to say he's like five or something, because they point out like how smart he is and that he's reading and doing these things that a child that young wouldn't be able to do.
1: Yeah, seeing ghosts, your typical... (laughs) <laughs> kind of quirky five- year old thing. yeah, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, so, but we we learn right away that Gaspar's mother and Juan's wife, Rosario is dead. And right away we know that it has it there's something suspicious about it. For one, Juan is unable to do a ritual to find out where she is on the other side. So he believes that someone is keeping her from him. And, like, blocking them. And the other thing is, we know bits by what Juan is kind of telling us, but also kind of when we're getting a little bit of history of the families, that Rosario's mother, Mercedes, is a terrible person. And that her and Rosario did not get along, and she did not approve of Juan and Rosario's marriage. So, right off the bat, you're like, tons of tension, tons of things that at stake you have a lot of questions like why is this kid seeing ghosts why is the father picking up on these really strange things and and being like oh they're going to come for my son and you're like what is happening one of my favorite things though is that a few sections in it's done the book is is cut into a couple different parts kind of based on whose perspective whose story and what time and so it just, it has these different right. sections
0: and they're, they're very long. And so if you're like me and you like to kind of cut your reading off at chapters, <laughs> it makes it difficult because mm-hmm. it, it does oh, yeah. have those, but they're also dealing yeah. with, so there's like all the family drama, but then there's a lot of the political drama that's happening at that time. And then yeah. also Juan, the father, he was born with a heart defect. So he's, constantly Mm -hmm. having health issues and having to work around that while he's also dealing with these other things. So there's lots of lots of different elements of tension and problems, not just like your main, the main problem.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because there are characters you meet at a certain point in time when Gaspar is older and he and Juan are living in Argentina in just like a regular middle class neighborhood, but they clearly have more money than everybody, but they don't live necessarily like they do other than they've always got nurses coming by the house.
0: Anytime they want money or need something, they just ask and it shows up.
1: Yeah. Super, super bizarre childhood to be born into for Gaspar. But he does his best to kind of have, like, a normal childhood, and he has these friends. They all kind of live in the same neighborhood. One of the friends, she's missing an arm, and I think it's cut off at the elbow? I think, like, maybe right above. Okay. But, yeah, so she's an amputee, and there are a lot of amputees in the cult, And so this becomes a weird theme where right away when you meet Gaspar's friends as he's a preteen and teenager, there's always in the back of my mind was like, why is his friend an amputee? And why does the friend's single mother seem like she knows Juan from the past? And those pieces come further along in the story that become by far one of the more interesting storylines the, the mother, Betty, and the daughter, Alana. I didn't put together the
0: whole amputation thing. I was just like, oh. oh okay. <laughs> yeah, that was another one of those that's like, should have been a, a big signal. And I was just like, oh, that's weird that she lies about, you know, because she comes up with this story why she has this amputated mm-hmm. arm and Gaspar, they don't believe her. And I was just like,
1: oh, poor girl. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm like suspicious. (laughs) Also, she talks about her father being part of the rebellion. Um, We later find out that her mother and father were both part of the Argentinian rebellion. Um, And I don't know if you remember from like history in high school or college, but they talk about the disappeared people who the, the Argentinian government would just abduct. And no one would ever know what happened to them because they were, you know, politically active or um, vocalized, not supporting the current regime. That's that's definitely in the background and it doesn't really come into the forefront until we learn Betty's backstory and her connection to the cult and her connection to Rosario. Um, there's a lot of, there's so much to talk about with this book, but one thing that I think is my favorite thing about this book, and I'll stop right after this and we can talk about recipes, is there's something meta going on in this book it's a book that is aware that it's a book it's it's a book that is self conscious about the shortcomings of human language and it's constantly reminding us of that i have like a million passages underlined where i just was like yes yes this book is pointing out that you can't trust language language is inherently false like, we can have a feeling, we can know a truth, and the second we put it into words, we put it into writing, it's now less true somehow because our words can't capture truth fully. And um, so this is one of my favorite quotes, especially because they're talking about this religious cult where they, a lot of the the people in the cult studied, um, like, Gnostic teachings... Uh, they would send them to London to go to school to study, like, theosophy and magical arts and um, and mythology. And so they were talking about how when Rosario was in college, her and her college friends were studying, but they were also partying and, and being young people and everything. One thing that you weren't allowed to do in the cult was to ever question, question the word of the dark, or the dark god that they worshipped but they had these scribes who in a trance when they would have their ceremonies would write down what they swear they heard the darkness say and Rosario's friend her best friend basically they were all talking about the writing or the the teachings of the darkness and her friend said I think they're lying like I think the scribes are bullshitting and they're just writing stuff down and it's not real and rosario's like you can't say that like my mom would lose her shit if she heard you say that or thought that you said that but from that moment on rosario's faith in the cult and in the writings of the scribe it's like it planted a seed of of doubt and she starts really questioning truth so she's she has this um connection that she makes where she's studying god's she says, Hermes is the god of writing. And that's um, Greek. Hermes was the messenger god. But he was also the trickster god. And she says, Hermes is the god of writing. But he was also the god of falsehood. Laura. Laura was her friend who questioned it. So this is right after Laura was like, I don't trust that. She, she says, uh, I didn't say that to Laura. And said, you know, they, they just started dancing or whatever. But so Laura says, I don't trust the writings of the scribe. I don't think that that's like really the the words of the God. And Rosario's first thought was of Hermes, the God of writing, but also the God of falsehood, the God of teaching, the God of messages, but also the trickster God. And I was like, how cool is that to be a book telling you something that we know is fiction we're told it right away but it's telling us to believe in it as if it's true as in these as if these characters are real and then we feel though that there's these real philosophical truths within the book under the guise of being fiction so it's like you read the Bible people have a lot of questions about holy books any holy book because they're being told it's true but you take something that's fiction and they're saying none of this is true. It's a fiction story. And then you find stuff in there that you're like, that's truth. That is like real truth. I don't know. I love that kind of, what would you call that, like an oxymoron or... Like a dichotomy? Yeah, I love that. And yeah, whenever they
0: were talking about when they had like their first ceremony and they were kind of explaining that when the darkness is present, nobody can hear anything. Nobody can hear what the darkness is saying. But they're like, but the scribes can and they're the only ones and they write it down. And right there, I was like, okay, how do they know that that's what they're actually doing and that there's actually more to the darkness and that there's actually messages and the darkness isn't just like there to feed. And it reminded me of the church I grew up in was Pentecostal Mm. and they they would have someone would stand up and they would speak in tongues and then, and then another someone person, else would translate and then someone else would stand up and translate and say God told me what they said. Mm-hmm. And I remember cuz I was pretty pretty young and I was like, "Well, why wouldn't God tell the person who's saying it what he said or or why wouldn't they just why would he do it in a, like it always just didn't quite make sense to me the logic yeah. and everything, but I was pretty young so I couldn't but that's what this scenario reminded me of because you're trusting that this person
1: is being honest and that there's nothing more to it and right right it reminded me a little bit of the movie midsummer did you ever watch that with florence yes when they go into that um where they keep all their holy books and you realize that it's actually a, a person who has been on purpose inbred to be their prophet and so all the holy books are scribbles and like finger painting <laughs> that have to then be interpreted. And I yeah. was like, that's so brilliant. I thought that was just the most brilliant metaphor for like divine messages. <laughs> because, you know, I think I, I have a belief. Everyone has like crazy beliefs, but I believe that dreams are our subconscious's way of telling us things. And in the past, I've, been like an avid dream journaler, and I predicted things that would happen in a, like days before because I dreamed them, and I would write them down, and then something would happen, and I'd go back to my dream journal and be like, "I predicted that." Dreams are magic, but it's like also if I sat down and like did the math, the probability is probably really high. Anyways, you know we all have those beliefs, and this book is full of all kinds of bizarre beliefs, superstitions. I don't know. I just felt like I was in such a magical headspace while I was reading it. It made me really happy. I loved it so much. It was too dark for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, okay. So if we're being honest, I read this book in two weeks. <laughs> Amber took a long time because I think it was traumatic for you and it was hard I, for you to read. I didn't finish it.
0: I I rarely that. choose... Okay. Well, and I, I have this thing where even like if I open a magazine like a book, I have to finish it. I hate not finishing something. Right. And I would sit down and read it. I liked it. But I'll tell you my specific reasons. Okay. Because I had to figure out the literary components of like why am I having a hard time with this? And I think Mm -hmm. I figured out why. So when we get into spoilers, I'll I'll tell you.
1: Okay, cool. We'll do that. Um, Really quick, I'm going to read a review from the LA Review of Books by Elizabeth Gonzalez James that I thought was... A really good, concise way of talking about what the core story is here for um, anyone who is believed that we were just rambling and making no sense. Um, Rosario's family, the English-born Bradfords, come to Argentina in the 1800s looking for cheap land and opportunity. How did they get rich? Oh, the usual, Rosario says in a section that narrates her personal history. Quote, looting partnerships with other powerful people, understanding what side to take during the Civil War. That's the real life realities, uh, real dark realities of how their family got rich. Is they kind of m- manipulated people? They participated in essentially slave labor. Um, they benefited from war. Uh, the family owns vast Yoruba plantations and luxury properties around the country, which keep them well-heeled and give them the freedom to pursue the their occult practices. Wealth, power, and evil are inextricably linked in Enriquez's world, the author. And it is only fitting that the Bradfords would pursue the favors of an evil god, an entity that appears when summoned like a black mist or gel that severs fingers and limbs if anyone tries to touch it, and which hungers for human flesh and then lovingly arranges the body parts and bones of its victim into a mysterious other place like a collector posing figurines on a shelf. Um, The other place, I think, is uh, really interesting, and I want to get into that being kind of a a foil to the real world, uh, where in the real world, there are these human atrocities happening, but it's, like, covered up. No one can see it. In the other world, it is used as decoration. Like, it is like, hey, look at how vile and disgusting the world is to the point where it's almost beautiful anyways so basically three families of blood the bradfords the Reyeses, and the mathers dominate this tale and in particular one of the heirs of the order rosario reyes bradford along with her partner juan and their son gaspar are the central characters so yeah (laughs) did you make a drink i was just gonna recommend crush because that's what he's constantly drinking Oh, yeah, I got, forgot about that. that. was a good detail to remember. Orange Crush. The bulk of the story, when it's talking about Gaspar's teen years, it's in the 80s. There's a Stranger Things kind of vibe. They're riding their bikes everywhere. They're exploring haunted houses. They're just being kids in a world that is very dark and so dark that then they don't even realize what part, what roles they're about to play in this dark reality. Um but yeah, Orange Crush. There's a couple different staples. The recipe that I chose was tres leches, which is like a caramel spread that they put on all of their bread and stuff. And every time Gaspar goes to his friend's house, Vicky's mom always has tres leches. They essentially make like a spreadable, creamy, caramely paste that I think. Of. I think when you make it, it looks like peanut butter but then you're pleasantly surprised that it's definitely more of like a dessert spread and you can put it on anything like in the story, they'll have it on bread, but they also had it on like pretzels. I want to say, and it seems to be a staple of Argentina, like a South American staple. They put it on everything. And I was like, yes, find what you love and let it kill you. (laughs) I would put it on everything too. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, that recipe is on our Instagram. It's surprisingly easy. If I can make it, anyone can make it. Hmm. We'll see about that. (laughs) Amber's like, I burned my house down trying to make my
0: challenge, I guess my project right now, because we have all these cast iron pans, but I never use them because like, you can't throw them in the dishwasher. And so I just, I just don't use them. And so I've been using cast iron, and learning how to cook in that, and like youtubing recipes,
1: and my husband's so happy. <laughs> hey, cast iron's actually really good for you. They say a lot of people I know. That have iron deficiencies. It's because we don't cook with those anymore, and it kind of.
0: Is yeah, well, good. a lot of pans are actually really bad for you, like Teflon. Yeah, that, that
1: non-stick spray is like toxic. Yeah,
0: yeah, and so yeah, cast iron is, from what I've researched, the healthiest
1: way to cook. They say two copper, like copper pans and copper bowls without the Teflon. No? No. So, like, you know um, how Ma- Moscow Mules
0: got really popular? Yeah. And you make them in copper? If you have enough of them without that silver, like, tin lining inside, mm-hmm. it's it's really bad for you. Oh, like, shit. Yeah. So, you always, if you get any of those mugs, you want to make sure it's silver on the inside. Okay. And even copper pans... Um, I was watching this show and he had bought this like antique really huge copper pan and he took it into like a coppersmith and they remelted tin in, in it because you want it to be lined. You don't want oh, it okay. to be copper. But the copper good is good enough. for the outside because it spreads the heat evenly.
1: Oh, okay. But you okay. don't want it touching your food. See, we should have a side channel where we do like health tips. <laughs> <laughs> And it's and it's me saying I think this is right, and it's you being like actually, no, <laughs> just making stuff up. <laughs> yeah, um, and I don't know if there's any coincidence to this, but my drink lately of choice, like at night or on the weekends, is I've been drinking mezcal, which is a kind of tequila where the the plant instead of just being processed and distilled into tequila is burned and then covered underground and allowed to like smolder and then they do it. So it's got this very smoky, leathery, like earthy taste. Um, I've just been making mescal margaritas constantly. So tequila, tres leches, I'm moving to Argentina. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about from this point on spoilers. Tell me why you didn't connect with the book in the same way I did and what kind of made you decide it's not for me which totally viable like I would yeah, like, never read another bridgerton's book ever again <laughs> <laughs> well and
0: the one that you read was like the worst one but that was bad it it was that one was bad well no so when i would sit down and read it i liked it the writing was great it's set up great. There's no plot holes or I mean there was nothing like yeah. fundamentally wrong with it. It was a wonderfully written book. So I was like why am I struggling so much to make myself sit down t- to start reading it. Mm-hmm. And it was like going to the gym. Once I'm at the gym, I like working out, but I just can't get myself to get, get yourself go there. <laughs> yeah, it's like this mental block. But so I I was like, why? And so I think what it was is when you're reading a book, there's a, a goal, right? So there's something that they're trying to attain or conquer or do. And that's kind of the point. Well, maybe if I had read further, this opinion would have changed. But initially, the goal that was like apparent to me was Juan was trying to figure out how to save his son. Right. So... Either Gaspar becomes the next medium. Which he knows firsthand is awful. Which he doesn't want to happen. Or if Gaspar doesn't have the medium abilities, which Juan knows he does have them, but he's hiding it. Mm -hmm. But if he didn't, then Juan would have to overtake Gaspar's body
1: and continue being the medium. Well, side note, I'm glad you brought that up. The real end goal that the cult has, obviously, wealth, power, influence, they have all that. They all want eternal life. They want to, like, never die. And so later on in their ceremonies, they're basically trying to be able to take over other people's bodies so that when they're old all the the higher up people in the cult will be able to take someone else's body and continue to live and run the cult and keep doing their their dark arts right so
0: to me the obvious goals was that but like normally there's an option you see an option that that's like the one they're trying to make happen because that's the best option but right both options were bad Right. And so it wasn't like I'm rooting for this better thing to happen because I didn't know what that was. Well,
1: yes, I do agree. But when you find out the option that Juan chooses, it's so fucked up and it ties in so many other questions that you had throughout. the Like, why did he do that? Who is this person? What the hell? And then when you realize the final move, you're like, what the fuck?
0: But just initially, like, I think that was the reason why I was having a hard time sitting down to read it, because it's like, well, I don't have anything I'm rooting for. Yeah, I'm not I get that. rooting for for him to take over Gaspar. I'm not rooting for him to die. I didn't see any good outcomes. So why am I reading this? What's pulling me along to make mm-hmm. me want to see what happens? And then normally, if there's some other kind of storyline or something happening that you're like, oh, there's like a... A romance? Are they going to get together? You didn't have that. You know, it, there was just nothing else that was, like, positive in the beginning yeah. where I was reading. And, like, when I'm 200 pages in and I'm still, what am I rooting for? It's right. hard for me to, like, keep reading it. There was just so much, um, I guess, like, a dark overtone. So, like, when he goes and he visits his, his dead wife's sister, they just immediately have sex. Tally. And I'm like, that's his... W- yeah, I'm like, that was his wife's sister, and he's talking about constantly, like, how much he misses his wife, and he's searching for her, and he loved her, and that's what he's like, up until that point, he's, like, trying to find her, and then he goes and screws her sister, and I was like... Okay,
1: but okay. there is also, the the sexuality in this book is very open, there's a lot of, especially being it's, Juan, being the medium, he has sex with a lot of people, because he gets power that way.
0: Right, but it's very, it's very flat, there's no oh. feeling in it. There's no passion in it. Esteban?
1: Juan and Esteban's relationship was my favorite. Well, they well, call it Stephen, too. Okay, Steven. Steven the- and Esteban are the same person. But also Rosario and Laura as lovers. But see, Laura's I didn't get that passionate. far. That's what, what I'm saying.
0: No, that's what I'm saying. Like, if okay. I'm reading for 200 pages... And so far, for my taste, to have a reason to keep reading, maybe put that stuff in there sooner. Just because this is like a 500 million page long book. And so I was just like, if the whole book is like this, why am I, you know? But so that, whenever he did that, I was like, okay. Then whenever he smacks Gaspar and sends him to the ground, and he doesn't feel remorseful at all. And so those things made me not care about him as a character like I wasn't rooting for him as a
1: character because yeah. I was like you're kind of an asshole okay <laughs> <laughs> like, so one thing in defense of the book because I felt that way too I felt really conflicted because I got that he was loved his son but then I also thought he was a piece of shit dad most of the time you end up learning from Esteban later uh in the book at that time Juan Was already especially what as the abuse gets worse, because the abuse gets bad. Like the parental abuse gets like to the point where I had to like put the book down and like go outside and take some fresh breaths because it was like upsetting me. Um, Juan was like on death's doorstep, and when he would get bursts of of health, he would be just god awful to Gaspar, and he wanted Gaspar to want him to die. He knew that the way that Gaspar handled his mom's death was not well. And he wanted Gaspar to, A, be glad that his dad was gone, be relieved, and to not feel any kind of yearning for his father to go searching for him. Because Juan wasn't going to die. Juan was going to take someone else's body. He knows that Gaspar has like this extra sensory perception. He didn't want Gaspar to feel his father alive and to go looking for him. Because part of Juan's big plan was to not take Gaspar's body, to keep Gaspar in shadow so that the family couldn't find him, so that he could live a normal life. But for that to work, he needed the family to never be able to find Gaspar, Gaspar to never go looking for the family because he hated them and and just wanted to cut all memories and to not be aware that he could sense his father was still alive and go looking for him
0: so like that's why i think this podcast is good because if people haven't read the book or they're reading it and they listen to this and they're like okay because to me i'm like i need motivation to keep reading sooner than 200 pages in. Right. And all of that stuff happens later. And so I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Except for when the incident where he was five and he hits him, like he justifies why he hit him. Like he was just abusive, you know, at that point. But so I'm like, that happened. It's not okay, but Juan's childhood
1: was fucked up.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then whenever they go into the tunnel and he finds all these children in cages and it talks about how they were being tortured and how they're like not even really children anymore and they're just like disfigured and all of this Mm
1: -hmm. but that's so important (sighs) that's so important because okay so mercedes the reason why she's such a great villain is because the only thing she cared about was power but because she didn't have any extrasensory abilities like laura had the power premonition Laura could, like, communicate telepathically with people. Rosario had some extrasensory perception. All these people there would be mediums. And we learn about, like, the four previous mediums before Juan. Mercedes was always jealous. She always wanted the power for herself. She hated having to go through a medium. And so in times when they didn't have a medium, but because all of the mediums up until Juan lost their fucking minds and, like, went on a murder fest.
0: That kind of stuff, like, to me, I don't like watching stuff like that. It's just... I guess because I feel like whenever you have, like, the darkness and you have, like, gods and all of that, that's more fictional. But when people... Like, I won't watch, like, the Saw movies. People are actually... Probably doing that somewhere, or they're capable of that, or it's real, or you're giving
1: sick people ideas of stuff to do. Like, it's just too disturbing for me. So, this is stuff that has been done before when it comes to like, I'm not going to say like necessarily voodoo and Santeria, but those type of dark arts where you have paths that you can take when exploring these different, I don't know, metaphysical studies. One thing that I think that tunnel of of deformed children that were being tortured by mercedes is important because it really shows us who the god is there are moments when you want to think maybe this god's not so bad maybe this cult is onto something maybe i would even be intrigued to be a part of this cult but when you see that the only way mercedes is able to have any kind of power on her own is by viciously torturing people and not just torturing them by like pulling their fingernails out or cutting them but like taking someone's leg and breaking it off and then cutting open their chest and inserting it into their chest and letting it heal up that way like bizarre grotesque things that's what the darkness wants and then rewards her with power that is such a visceral way to be like fuck this god that they worship fuck the cult it's not just like a little bit evil it's like really really evil Which then also complicates how we feel about Juan, because Juan serves it. Yeah, that's,
0: you know, uh, to the point I read, there was nothing good. There was nothing to justify anything. There was nothing to make me want to find out what happens to so-and-so or, you know, so that's why I was just like, yeah, it's beautifully written and the story is done very well and everything but why am i motivated to keep reading this yeah. it's just darkness it's just evil it's just this bad thing can happen or this bad thing can happen and so if i have a choice to spend my time experiencing that right, right. or experiencing something else like i just had a hard time making myself devote time to it but i know that's probably like, I'm not, I don't read this genre. And so people right. who maybe read this genre, that's typical. And so they keep going. And then, and, you know, you you get that later. Well, and it's not. I just couldn't get there.
1: Yeah. And I don't think it's, it was violence for the sake of violence. Because sometimes I do like just like a good slasher movie. But typically I want it to be there to be a purpose. And the purpose is it's actually critiquing society. Like, it's it's saying like, oh, you think this is barbaric and dehumanizing? Well, look at the society that built it and allowed this to happen and gave it power. And I think that the book is really talking about Mercedes represents, and the and the cult itself represents that original dictatorship that first existed in the shadows, abducted people, hurt people, did everything it could for total control. I think that Juan and Rosario represented kind of a pushback against that, Not the same way that Betty and her daughter did, where they were like, This is wrong. We want nothing to do with this. Rosario and Juan were like, This is wrong, but we're still kind of benefiting from it. So we're not going to try to take it down. We're just going to like try to get power for ourselves and then use that power for good. So I think it, it had this like spectrum of morality when you're dealing with darkness, which I think was actually society. And it was a critique of totalitarian systems. It was a critique of greed and greed in the sense of like greed for power, avarice. Uh, I don't know. I just I thought that I really didn't feel like it was just gore and fucked upness just for shock value. It reminded me a lot of. Did you ever see the Korean film Parasite that came out a couple years ago? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Parasite has it basically shows how poor people will kill each other first, they see each other as enemies, who they're fighting for limited resources, rather than they both poor families had the opportunity to take down the wealthy family. But instead, they admired them because they wanted what they had. And so they turned on each other. And that's what allows systems of inequality to flourish is by making people who are down on the bottom, living in poverty, turn on each other, fight with each other, instead of uniting to overthrow the regime. And I love things that make you think like that because it's never cut and dry. There's no easy answers. If there was, we wouldn't still have totalitarian governments now. We wouldn't have, you know, the 1%. None of, none of it's easy. No one knows how to fix it. So when you read a book that kind of fucks you up about it, that's my favorite because it just that's all I think about then is like, what do you do? Because I think... In a way, I'm a Rosario. I know that the world is bad. I know that there's a lot of bad stuff going on, but I look for ways to make myself happy and get my piece of the pie for my family. I'm not politically active. I'm not trying to help people. I'm not as socially conscious as I I should be, but when I read books like this, it reminds me of that spectrum. Like, where do I fall in the spectrum of... When there's evil shit going on and I find out about it, where am I on uh, on the spectrum of am I benefiting from it? Am I not necessarily part of the system, but I'm not doing anything to make it stop? Am I helping the system? Uh, I don't know. Stuff that I think about a lot. I love those themes in books, and I've read other books with those themes that I mm-hmm. just enjoyed more Well, in like the way that they told it. Yeah, like Handmaid's Tale had some romance, had some characters that you felt connected to that's why there's never going to be a shortage of like well we don't really need writers anymore all the books have been written (laughs) like no we constantly need it yeah and i mean and that's
0: why you need different types of books because like you really enjoyed this i did not (laughs) (laughs) i think it was i think it was good yeah. But I didn't, like, enjoy my time reading it. I will say, though, because it switches perspectives. And when it's in the perspective of Rosario's sister... Tally. Yeah, I liked when it's in her perspective. Mm-hmm. And then when you get into the second section, and it's from Gaspar's perspective... I liked that. Yeah. And so that's when I started thinking like, okay, maybe I could keep reading this book, but that was yesterday. And so I didn't have enough time then yeah. <laughs> to yeah. push through and finish it. I'm like, man, if she would have started it with Gaspar as a teenager. Without Juan, yeah. then I probably would have enjoyed it. I mean, there's a difference between appreciating that a book is well written, has a mm-hmm. good theme mm-hmm. is an important book is culturally important politically important mm-hmm. and then just actually enjoying your time reading it. That's how so, it like I felt about War
1: and Peace Have you ever read War and Peace? No. 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 Not a fun book to read. <laughs> it's super important, beautiful, lovely. Now Anna Karenina I read and enjoyed. It was captivating, lovely, great. War in peace? I know it's important, but it was a chore.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's like right now I'm watching Legacies. So stupid, so what cheesy, is that? but I love it. Um, <laughs> like I can't. But it's because I enjoy something about it, you know. Even mm-hmm. though I'm like, this is not really important at all. So there's Vampire Diaries. Did you ever watch that? No. <laughs> so okay, so they did Vampire Diaries. And then they did a spinoff called The Originals, and I didn't ever watch that one. And then they did another spinoff called Legacies, and it's basically like um, a school for werewolves, witches, and vampires. It's stupid. It's so stupid, but I enjoy it. Like, I probably, I want to slowly, like, over time, I probably will finish reading this book because I, it is well done and I was starting to enjoy it more once it got into that second part but mm-hmm. I had already taken like a month at that point and so <laughs> we couldn't put off the podcast any longer and so I was yeah. like, "Yeah, no, I've had a long time to read it so I couldn't be like,
1: hey, I'm actually kind of starting to enjoy this book now can we push it another week? <laughs> yeah, oh, I did want to when I found the title in the book, I was like, woo! Like, I felt like, where's Waldo? Like I found him. So, on page 261, while I was reading it, I specifically remember it was like midnight. I could not go to sleep because I wanted to just keep reading. And this book kind of fucked my sleep up because I would read it and then my mind would be like reeling. Not a great book if you need good sleep, I would say. It, it just had me up reading really late. But um, I came across the title in a quote in the book. It made <laughs> me so happy. I like underlined it and I put I put a little heart. Because that's what I do. <laughs> I'm not going to lend this book out, by the way. This is a keeper. Wow, that's a first. Yeah. Well, and I said that about tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, but I did lend it to someone, but then they gave it back. So I'm like, because I love that one, too. So Juan is talking to Gaspar, and he says, You have something of mine. I passed on something of me to you, and hopefully it isn't cursed. I don't know if I can leave you something that isn't dirty, that isn't dark our share of night. And he tells him this after the two of them go on this little adventure, um, where they're trespassing through this, I don't know. They're like on the shore, like they're at some seaside area. It's this property that there's several gates they have to go through. And, uh, Juan wants to see if Gaspar, which he knows he does has his gift of being able to open any doors. And so he says to Gaspar, Don't think, just open that door. And Gaspar does. And he does it to a couple different types of gates, a couple different types of locks. And he doesn't say to his son, I have this power and I wanted to see if you have it. Turns out you have it. I hope you can use it for good. I necessarily haven't used it for good. Instead, he says, I've passed on something to you. I don't know if I can leave you something that isn't dirty, isn't dark, our share of night. And that's what he calls their kindred mediumship and all of their powers and i like have chills thinking about what a fucking great way to say that it's our shit yeah night. Ugh. that's like she's a great writer she's amazing i have one more dog-eared page what was it oh yeah okay wait there is one part in this is like right before pa- we hit page 600 this is like 572 they're um all throughout the book one the dad has all these notebooks that he fills with like doodles or random sigils, like magical symbols um, and quotes from his favorite poets, which I think that's lovely because i have that too. And Gaspar, once Juan is gone, finally decides to go through these notebooks and he finds the quotes that his dad has specifically written that are in there with all of his magical stuff. So his dad wasn't just like, this is beautiful. Like, it seemed like it it was weighty. And all of them have to do with things that came to pass. It was like he was using the poetry to encode his plan. So he uses a quote from Keats that says, he whose face gives no light shall never become a star. See uh, Sendrars, he says, it is my star... And it's in the shape of a hand, which you don't know necessarily what happened (laughs) in the other side, but Mm -hmm. all of this is talking about the body that Juan decided to take instead of Gaspar's. This is the, the secret map. And when Gaspar finds it, he puts the pieces together, which goes to show what a genius Gaspar is anyways, because... He didn't just find like his dad's like, my top secret plan is I'm going to do this. It's just fragments of poetry. And then here's the last one. It's E. Elliot. And it says, fiddle with pentagrams or barbituric acids or dissect the recurrent images into preconscious terrors to explore the womb or tomb or dreams. And Gaspar says tombs and dreams, messages, pentagrams. His father's copy of Elliot was almost illegible from so much underlining. His father was just going through these poems. And it's like he realizes his father did not know what to do because of the, the conundrum we discussed at the beginning. He used poems to come up with this plan, <laughs> which I think is fucking wild. And kind of beautiful. And and fucked. Totally fucked. But beautiful. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what happened. So I'm, I'm like. Well, the only thing I'll say is. It sounds cool. Gaspar's friend who didn't have an arm or part of an arm. Her desperate need to go look in that haunted house. That clearly was at certain times a place of power to the other world. Her desire to go there was Juan pulling her there. Mm -hmm. and the reason she lost her arm was originally as a baby her mother took her to despite rosario saying do not bring your baby to one of the ceremonies she did and that's how the daughter lost her arm so she had already been touched by the darkness so juan could communicate with her and almost like manipulate her thoughts Hmm. Mm hmm interesting yeah she was the vessel
0: I kind of, kind of <laughs> put that together. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah what a whirlwind. That book was definitely traumatic, though, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so total change of pace. What book are we reading next? Okay. So the next book is Lessons in Chemistry. By this, Bonnie Garmus. So
0: this book I actually discovered because I have an app called Chirp, like C-H-I-R-P. And it's like Audible. You get audiobooks on there. But every day they send an email and it's like, hey, these are the books that are on sale today. And they'll be like $2 or $3 for the audio version. So the app's free. And then you just, you know, buy books. And so Lessons in Chemistry was on there. And I hadn't even heard of this book. I just, the cover was really cute. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ugh, chemistry. I don't want to read about chemistry, you know? And it looked kind of sciency, but the cover was cute. So I got it, and I was listening to the audiobook, and it was really, really good. But then Apple TV just put the series out. I didn't even know they were making a series
1: for so it. When, and when so- you told me you picked the next one, I had been seeing the, uh it's got Captain Marvel, the chick who plays Cap Brie Larson. Um, mm-hmm. Brie Larson has been on my Roku TV when it goes to that screen. It'll be like watch lessons in chemistry a limited series or whatever and i was like the fuck is that about because it looks like a 50s housewife mm-hmm. like i don't know like it to me it looked like wandavision or something like that and i was like not interested and uh then you're like <laughs> no, <I'm okay. laughs> "Guess that's what we're reading and i was like fuck but it's actually so good it's not at all what i thought
0: yeah, so if I had read what it was about, I probably wouldn't have chosen it. But it was just like, you know, two dollars and so I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. But yeah, it's it's um it's really good and it, it goes between different perspectives and it has some of it is from the perspective of the dog, which I haven't got I there. love. And I haven't finished it. So what I did was I was using our riding lawn mower mowing the mm-hmm. lawn, and so I've actually- listened to
1: I just got to the part where she came home with the dog.
0: Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> <Woo>!
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can't yeah. do dead dogs. Did I tell you that? I can't do that. <laughs> like when the dog. Well, okay. When the dog died in this book, I had to put it down and go for a walk. <laughs> so I was like. Ah. So Okay. Well, as far as I know, like cause I haven't
0: finished it. But the point I'm at, the dog is still alive. It's just that there's some things that happen once she gets the dog. But so, yeah, so it does have some sad stuff,
1: but it also has. I know exactly what you're talking about.
0: Okay. So it also has really important themes of uh, um, feminism. And so, like, she's this brilliant chemist. But it's like what fifties or sixties, and so mm. it's it's the things that she deals with, like even in grad school and at work, like being a female, um, them you know just not respecting her and her brilliance, and so there's there's that aspect, and then there's a she, lot more. She
1: also doesn't have a ton of people skills, which is which makes her it, she ingratiates her to me. I think if she was because she's she's clearly attractive and she's brilliant, if she was. A people person, I'd hate her. But she hates people. She only can can connect to people by, like, making science happen in her brain to, like, explain the world around her. She's fabulous. I thought I was going to hate her. If I had just seen a picture of her, I'd be like, fuck that bitch. But... When you get inside her brain, you're like, "What a weirdo!" I love yeah, it. Yeah, and that's kind of that's kind of one of the themes of the
0: book is that she's like very, very, very attractive, and so a lot of other females don't like her because mm-hmm. the men are really drawn to her, and so the other females are, are jealous, yeah. and then you know bosses try to take advantage of her, and it's like her attractiveness is actually a disservice to her because 100%. she's not taken seriously as right. a scientist. So, well, in
1: the very first chapter, I think someone thinks that she's the secretary for. Or one of the chemists. And she's like, No, I'm a chemist. And they're like, yeah, Okay, honey.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's good. And I'm doing and I, I bought the book, but I'm really enjoying the audio version. Some audio books aren't like that great. But this one, the narrator and everything it's it's really good. And so I would I would also recommend the audio version of this one.
1: It's a really good change of pace from our share of night because our share of night I would read it and, of course, because there's not very clear-cut chapters, you don't know when you're going to stop. It's hard to stop. And then my mind would be reeling at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning. I wasn't getting good sleep, and I was having crazy dreams. This is, like, so nice. I can just read a couple chapters and then have, like, a perfect night's sleep. No nightmares. No weird. It, yet. It gets... Yet. It, it, th- yeah. I'm like,
0: it's it's not, like, a happy book.
1: It, it, never can be. it never can be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's, that's the next one. Lessons in
1: chemistry. Okay, cool. I'm excited. Um, I will be definitely be better at posting on Instagram. So look for the, our share of night, Trace chase recipe and some stuff about lessons in chemistry as we, as we are reading that we'll be making posts. Um, let us know what you thought of our spooky season Book recommendations. A couple people left messages, like whether they, oh, I read that one, or oh, yeah, what about this one? Um, those were great. Keep us posted, and um, if you ever have, like, we don't choose our books that far out. So if you ever have a recommendation, where at this point you know what books I like, you know what books Amber likes, you know what books Amber doesn't like. Now after this episode, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Give us some recommendations. Let us know. We'll take them into consideration and um, give you a shout out. So thanks for watching or listening. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Books and Brunch with Amber and Noel.
0: Books and Brunch with Amber and Noel.